Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. All right, if you want to turn with me over to Matthew chapter 7 this morning, and we are beginning a series on some of the parables. So we're going to spend this summer, and we're going to, we're going to share some parables, we're going to tell some stories and we're going to hear what Jesus has to say as he communicates to us his word through pictures and cultures and scenes. Jesus was the master storyteller. And he used every available means at his disposal to communicate God's truth to people. And so he's using all these different, different things, these, uh, the pictures of what's going on around him and, and, and cultural life in the first century Palestine to to communicate eternal truths to people. And so as we dig in, I just want to just make a couple of comments about parables to give us a bit of a, an understanding of what a parable is. So as we talk about this, we're all on the same page. So parables, and then we'll pray and we'll, we'll dig in. So a parable is really, the parables are brief. We're not going to cover every parable. We're going to cover probably a dozen parables this summer. But the parables are brief. Two-thirds of the parables that Jesus taught with are four verses or less. So they're not long stories. They're very short stories. They're very simple. They're easy to remember. And in any of Jesus' parables, there are never more than two people or two groups of people in the same scene. So there's never a group of three people having a discussion in Jesus' parables. There's only two. Always only two. Either two groups of people or just two people. Now, in almost all of the parables, there are no names that are given for the people, except one. Who can remember the one parable where names are given? Which one, Larry? Lazarus. Lazarus. Nailed it. Way to go. You get a gold star for today. And he's taking care of Titus. You're like double bonus, man. Look at that. All right. So there's one. So usually in a parable, it's not a person's name. It's a farmer. It's a shepherd. It's a rich man. It's servants. It's a king. No names are given. And they don't answer all of our theological questions. Okay? That's the hard part with parables. We want to ask all these other questions. Well, what about, well, what happens if? And we can't help but do that. But the parables weren't designed to answer all of our theological questions, right? Remember, Two-thirds of the parables Jesus used in the Bible are four verses or less. And so we cannot unpack all and get all of our theological questions answered in less than four verses. It's never going to happen. But here's the point of the parables, right? The point of the parables is this. It provokes reflection, okay? It provokes reflection, and it moves us towards a response to the Lord, Okay, so it provokes reflection and gives us an opportunity to think about our own lives, what's going on around us, but then the ultimate goal then would be to move us towards the Lord. And so as we dig through these parables this summer, my hope for us as a church is this, that we would be provoked to reflection and that we would be moved towards the Lord. That's the goal of the parables, that's the goal for us this summer, is reflection of our own lives, our own culture, of our own church, of our own families, and that we would be moved closer towards the Lord Jesus Christ. All right? Now, 
As we turn to Matthew chapter 7, we're going to pray and just ask the Lord for his help. We need the Lord's help as we understand his word. This is not something that isn't just any old book. This is God's word to us. And we need the Holy Spirit to help us. So Lord Jesus, this morning as we approach your holy scriptures, God, we ask for help. God, we ask that you would give us the Holy Spirit to open our eyes, unplug our ears, give us ears to hear, hearts to receive with faith. And God, I pray that as we, as we do this, as we embark on this journey this morning, God, that you would remove distraction, help us to fix our eyes upon you, even as all the other responsibilities of life and commitments we've made this afternoon and tomorrow are calling, God, I pray that we would fix our gaze upon you. And Jesus, we pray that in all that we do and all that we say, all the, all the words that I speak this morning, God, I pray that you would be exalted. Jesus, let your name be glorified. God, that you would provoke reflection in us and that you would, by the power of your spirit, God, move us closer to you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, Matthew chapter 7. And this parable that Jesus gives is the very first parable in the gospel of Matthew. And this parable follows the famous Sermon on the Mount. So he's, he's finishing up preaching Jesus' longest recorded sermon, which would have been about 20 minutes preaching, or if you want to read through it, it's about 10 minutes to read. And he finishes his entire sermon with this parable chapter 7 verses 24 through 27 everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Verse 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And great was the fall of that house. So we have a story of two builders. Both builders hear the words of Christ. Both builders build a home. Both builders experience the storms of life. And yet one house stands and the other is completely demolished. I want to give you just a, a brief context for this, this parable. So in Palestine, you have very dry summers, okay? And in the dry summers, what can look like a perfect place to build a home. So if you're, if you're maybe new to the area and you're a builder and you go and you look for a place to build your home, man, you see this place and it is flat level ground, man, and it is secluded and sheltered. There's no one else has built their, ho their home around this place for some reason. It looks like a perfect place to build a home. So a builder goes out and builds a home in this secluded, 
flat, level ground. What the builder doesn't realize is that in the fall, you have torrential downpours. And so as the fall comes and the torrential downpours come, what looks like, for a, what looks like a great place, level place to build a home turns into a flash flood. And in a matter of minutes, your home is utterly destroyed. And it may look something like this. So you have this perfect home, and the next thing you know, your house is going whitewater rafting without you, okay? But think about building on the sand. This is not some kind of, we haven't discovered some recent engineering discovery that we're able to say, wow, it's really a bad idea to build on the sand, right? I don't know, where, is Yemi? Where's Yemi? Is he downstairs? Is he, Yemi, are you a structural engineer? Civil engineer, okay? So you'd still know us. Is it wise to build on the sand? Bad idea. Bad idea. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Most of the bridges in Illinois are built on sand, right? No, okay. <laughs> Is that why they're crumbling? I just want to know. All right. So he works for the state of Illinois, by the way. So that's why I said it. Okay. Um, but everyone knows now, like they knew then, that you do not build a house on the sand, right? Does everyone know that, right? We, we haven't learned this because Jesus said it's not wise to build on the sand, and we've somehow discovered that. We all know that. Just like the people then knew the same thing that we know now. It's a bad idea. And believe me, Jesus the carpenter knows something about home building. All right? It's not wise to build on the sand. So, why would anyone ever build on the sand? Why would anyone ever build on the sand? They, they know this. We know this. But why would anyone ever build on the sand? I've got a couple of thoughts for us I want to share. Why would anyone ever build on the sand? This is how we go about building a home on the sand. Number one, there is a reluctance in our part to act to the Word of God. There's a reluctance on our part to act immediately to the, to the Word of the Lord. Okay? I remember one time I was walking into a store, and there was a, there was a guy at the front of the store. I, I don't know if he was, he was, I think he was asking for money. He might have been asking for a ride or something. And I had to go in the store, and I thought, look, what I'll do is I'll, and I felt as I walked into the store, the Lord wanted me to stop and have a conversation with this guy. And I thought to myself, Lord, here's what I'm going to do. I need to get in the store. I need, to, I need to get some things, and then on my way out, when I see this guy, at that point, then I'll have a conversation with him. So, Lord, I'm going to do what you've asked me to do, but I'm not going to do it right now. So I go in the store, do my business, get what I need to get, walk out, and the guy's gone. Completely missed the opportunity to obey the Lord. Now, the thing was, my intentions were right. I had, the, I had good intentions. Lord, I will obey you. I, I will get there. How many times have you had a similar experience? Right? There, there's, a, there's some kind of urgency. The Lord asking you to do something. The Lord, the Lord stirring your heart for something. Maybe it's to, to make amends with somebody. Maybe it's to humble yourself. Or 
invite someone over or to share your faith or to give or to do something and we sense God calling us to do something. We sense God's spirit stirring in us and we get this, we get this okay, Lord, I know it's you, but I'll get to it eventually. And we completely miss the opportunity to walk in obedience to the Lord. That is building our house on the sand. Just because I wanted to obey, just because I planned to obey, is not the same as obedience. Planning on obeying and obeying are two different things. And I think if we went around this church and we said, hey, how many times have you experienced this? The Lord asked me to do something. He sensed this urgency. And then you eventually never got around to doing it. And that, that kind of sense of urgency just went away. Kind of, oh, that was, I, I felt like that was important to do in the moment, but it, we, I've kind of missed it or whatever. I mean, we'd all have a story like that, wouldn't we? It's not all of us. We begin to build our house on the sand, not on the rock, when we do that. Second thing, number two, just because we have heard and understood, we think that we're all good. Just because I've heard and understood, I think that I'm all good, okay? Listen, sitting in church every week, hearing God's word and obedience are not the same thing. And I think how many times I've preached a message, and I've, this morning I was looking through, and this is week as a church, this is week, we're almost at 400 weeks as a church. So I've preached probably 350 or so messages. And I thought to myself, man, if I, if I did everything that I've preached to you, right, I would seriously be the most awesome Christian you've ever met, all right? Sir, I'd be the most humble, gracious, patient loving, the best father, you know, husband, friend. I mean, it would be amazing, right? I could probably go to the beach and like start walking on water, right? But as I begin to prepare this message and I begin to think through the words of Christ, I really just had a conviction of the Lord. And I had to do a work of repentance before God. God, I have preached, I have, I have sat here and proclaimed the word of the Lord to you at times, and I've gone and just completely forgotten about what I have said, or what I have preached, or what I was stirred with on that Sunday morning, and I've been content at understanding God's word, and reading God's word, and hearing God's word, and thought that was enough. As if I can just somehow, I can somehow spend all week digging into this and praying into this and encountering God and listening to God and waiting on God, and then that's it. That's all I need. And as much as the sufficiency of God's word and the power of God's word, yes, we affirm that and believe that, but yet there's an aspect of God's word that's more than just informational. It's given to be transformational. God's word is given to transform us and change us and to point us back to Jesus Christ again in every area of our lives. And we can read this word just like the two builders. Both of them heard the word of the Lord. Both builders heard God's word. 
There were people sitting in that sermon when Jesus spoke that in Matthew 5 through 7 who heard all the words of Jesus Christ, heard his word, encountered his teaching, thought, man, that was the best sermon I have ever heard. That was such powerful teaching. I'll never be the same again. And they went forth from that place and they were completely unaffected. And the very next day, nothing changes. I've done that. I've read the Sermon on the Mount numerous times. I've heard the words of Jesus. And I've been unaffected by it. And this week as I was going through this message, I just had to take a moment with the Lord and just repent before God. I'd repent, Lord. God, I encounter your word. Please help me to change. Help me to obey. Help me not just to be content with hearing only. That I would be affected and transformed by your holy word as I encounter week after week after week. Have you done this? Have you sat through sermons, reading the Bible, encountering God's word, and have left and said, hey, I'm just happy I heard God's word. That's all I need. And have walked away unaffected. I want to encourage you, if that's you, take a moment to repent before the Lord. That is building our house on the sand. Both, both builders heard the word. But there was something in the second builder's life that said, look, I hear your word, and I'm going to just go about my life because that was all I need. I just need to hear it, and I'm good. Where the first builder heard and changes life forever. I got a third. I got a third one. For the sake of time, I'm just going to mention it. I'm not going to go through it. We don't take the long view. We don't take the long view. And this is we we never cons- thought to consider the weather. It just looked easy and pleasurable in the moment. We don't really think through how this will affect my life in six months. All right, that's all I'm going to say about that. You can dig into that later. I want to close with this, a couple of, couple of thoughts for us as we close. So there's two builders. Both builders hear the word of the Lord. Both builders build the house. Both builders experience the storms. And yet one builder walks away in obedience. The other one is content with just hearing. One house is destroyed. One house stands throughout all the storms. I want to read a quote from Charles Spurgeon to you this morning. It's a brief quote. He says this, The common temptation is... Tell me if you've experienced. The common temptation is this. Instead of really repenting, it's to talk about repentance. Instead of heartily believing, to say, I believe without believing. Instead of truly loving, to talk of loving without loving. Instead of coming to Christ, to speak about coming to Christ and profess to come to Christ and yet not to come at all. That is the temptation, I believe, for all of us. And that is why Jesus gives us this this picture as he finishes his sermon. Because that is our temptation, to talk about understanding, to talk about Christ, to talk about his love, talk about his grace and his mercy and his power, 
and be completely unaffected by it. What Jesus is calling you and I to is a radical submission to him. He is calling you and I to a radical submission to who he is in every area of our lives, that we would surrender ourselves to Jesus. I want to just close with this the story of Chris Souls. If you've ever heard of this guy before. Chris Souls is a fourth-generation farmer from Arlington, Iowa. Unable to find love in a small town of 414 people, Chris applied to be a contestant on The Bachelorette. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you watch that show, okay? When he wasn't, giving the final ro- when he wasn't given the final rose, do you guys know what I'm talking about here? Does- okay, thank you. When he wasn't given the final rose, which I'm assuming is a very sad thing, he was, he was offered the opportunity to be the next Bachelor on the popular TV, ABC television show. Suddenly, he was in the Hollywood spotlight, attending parties on the cover of magazines and capturing the attention of single women everywhere. After his season of The Bachelor ended with an engagement, he was cast as a contestant on Dancing with the Stars. Unable to make things work with his fiancée, they broke off their engagement, and he was back on the market. Making more appearances on future episodes of The Bachelor and Bachelorette, he seemed to have it all, balancing his time between partying, the partying Hollywood lifestyle and retreating to his Iowa farm. He began drinking. He began spending more time partying. On April 24, 2017, Chris was coming home from a convenience store when he rear-ended a farming tractor driven by one of his neighbors. Souls called 911 and stayed until an ambulance arrived, but left the scene before law enforcement could question him. The driver of the tractor was pronounced dead at the hospital. Souls was arrested later that night for leaving the scene of a fatal accident. Police found alcohol in his vehicle and open alcohol in his home when they, when they arrived. Chris was released on $10,000 bail after spending the night in jail. He now has a location monitoring device on his leg and had to surrender his passport. He is now awaiting trial. Overnight, he appeared on the covers of the same magazines he'd been featured on before, only for a completely different reason. You can see where, and I don't, I don't know where this guy's, where he's at with Christ. I'm not trying to say he is or isn't a Christian. I'm not, that's not my point. point is you can see where the storms of life come and the destruction of the house is fatal. You can see where that destruction comes and it comes in and it destroys completely. This is what Jesus says, and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. It was sudden. Unprepared for it. Didn't realize it was going to happen. But there's good news for foolish builders. It's the gospel. The gospel's good news for foolish builders. The gospel's good news for people who have built their homes on the sand. The gospel's good news for us. Because as we evaluate our lives, we think about the things that we've heard and the way that we've responded to the Lord. Jesus is telling the people this because there's hope. 
He's not being fatalistic here saying, look, some of you are going to go out and shipwreck your lives. That's too bad for you. Jesus is giving us this picture because he's giving us hope, saying there's another way. There's hope for us. We've got a future. We've got a life in him. We, get, we, are, we are welcomed and invited to follow him and to trust him and to walk with him. This is the invitation of Jesus Christ to each and every one of us, just like it was in that day when Jesus preached a sermon. There is an invitation to walk with Jesus Christ. And even if we, we evaluate our lives and we look and see, look, Lord, I have been constructing a home built on sand. Jesus Christ offers us another way. He said it's not too late. It's never too late. If you are hearing these words this morning, it is not too late. There is an invitation by Jesus Christ to follow him, to turn from our ways, find life on the rock. This is who Jesus Christ has offered us this. Jesus told this parable as a loving warning so that we would build on the rock. The rain and wind will come. That's a promise. But we have an opportunity this morning to build on the rock, to lay a foundation in Jesus Christ. And that's the only solid foundation that we have. There is no other foundation. It is in Jesus Christ alone. We're going to close, and I just want to just encourage you this week. My hope is that this parable would, would, would provoke reflection and move us towards the Lord. And I want to encourage you this week, as, as we go out this week, read the context of this parable. Read Matthew chapter 5, verses 5, 6, and 7. It takes 10 minutes. Then, then do this. Ask the Lord what's next. It's going to be different for each one of us. I feel like as I read this, I asked the Lord what's next. I feel like he put some things in my heart. But praying into that, I would encourage you, as you dig in, ask the Lord. Read through this. It takes 10 minutes. Ask the Lord what's next. God, what's next? I believe he's going to speak to us that we would be like those wise master builders that builds our home on the rock and not on the sand. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, God, we thank you that you've made a way through your life and your death and your resurrection to build on the rock. And Lord, we pray today, Lord, in those areas of our lives that we have heard your voice, and we've reluctantly obeyed or we had desires to obey and we've forgotten. Lord, forgive us. God, forgive us. Lord, help us, Lord Jesus, to hear your word and respond with, with obedience, joy-filled obedience. God, we also repent for the areas that we've We've heard your word, God, week in and week out maybe. We've heard your word and we've walked away and just forgotten. God, help us to not just be hearers only, but doers of your word. 
And God, that you would transform us, Lord Jesus, to be more like you, to reflect your glory to a world who is desperately in need of you. God, we give you our lives. We surrender ourselves to you. In your name we pray. Amen.